This is episode number 63 of the Fearless Presentations podcast, the fastest, easiest way to eliminate public speaking fear. Want to absolutely eliminate public speaking fear? This podcast is the answer. Here's the guy who literally wrote the book on Fearless Presentations, Doug Stannert. Welcome to the Fearless Presentations podcast. I'm Doug Stannard, CEO of the Leaders Institute and Fearless Presentations. And this is the podcast that helps people just like you eliminate public speaking fear and become better leaders within their industry by becoming a more professional, a more confident speaker. This is episode number 63. And on this episode, I'm going to share with you a simple three-step process that will allow you to persuade your audience in about five minutes or less, a very short burst of persuasion. And in fact, this is the technique that I've been using in my fearless presentations classes for almost 20 years now. And it's worked so well that many of our class members, they're often shocked when they see this technique in action and how well it really works. In fact, I'm actually going to use this specific technique a couple of times in the episode. So we'll see if you can kind of pick up on the situations where I'm where I'm actually using it with you. So the podcast is brought to you by fearlesspresentations.com. If you have a really big speech coming up and you're feeling kind of anxious about it, there are a few things that will help, a few simple things that you can do to really help. The first thing that you really need to do if you want to decrease that anxiety is increase the amount of practice that you're getting in between speeches. That's one of the biggest challenges that most presenters have is that we do speeches so infrequently that we kind of forget how good we are in the, in the meantime, right? So um, a, a good example of this, by the way, is when I was a kid, I was I was maybe third or fourth grade and I got invited to go to one of my friends. Um, it was actually his country club uh, that he was a member of, which I was, I grew up poor. I didn't have any access to country clubs at the time. And so I was feeling a little uncomfortable and out of place anyway, uh, but we went swimming. And so uh, my, my friend jumped into the deep end. You know, I didn't want to be left out. So I jumped in the deep end as well. When I did, I panicked. And all of a sudden, you know, my head went underwater. And I, and by the way, I knew how to swim. I learned to swim when I was four or five years old. It just, I hadn't been swimming in three or four years. And so I just kind of panicked. And what, when, you know, of course, they pulled me over to the, to the side of the pool. And once I kind of got my breath and, and got a little bit more comfortable, and when the panic was gone. I did much, much better. I think that's what happens to a lot of people when they speak in front of a group. We do it so infrequently that we kind of forget what we're supposed to do. And as a result, when the pressure gets on, we just kind of panic and we and we and we seize up. So if you want to eliminate that from happening, you can go into a, a public speaking class like Fearless Presentations and get a lot more practice over a condensed period of time. So you feel more comfortable the next time that you get up to speak. Um, the second thing that can be very helpful is you want to have a really good coach. So there are there are good coaches and there's poor coaches. When I was in, in college, I took a public speaking class at, at, at my university and the person who was leading the class, she was a good teacher. She gave us good information, but she wasn't a good coach. And the technique that she used was to give us information and then have us get up in front of the group do that, deliver that, do, do what she asked us to do. But then she would critique us. She'd tell us what we did wrong. So from my perspective, every time I got up in front of a group, I was getting worse 
And because it didn't matter how well I did, she was still going to find something that I didn't do well. When I when I when I graduated from college, went into the business world and I was feeling uncomfortable now about speaking in front of a group. I started taking a leadership class and the coach that I had in that leadership class shortened my learning curve so significantly because instead of doing the critique method, she was telling me what I was doing well. She was pointing out the strengths that I had as a as a presenter, showed me how to maximize those as as I was minimizing my weaknesses and I grew so much faster. And that's the technique that we use in the fearless presentations class as well. What we do is we help people maximize their strengths, minimize their weaknesses and really reduce the risk of them ever having a failure in in front of a group. And then finally, the thing that I think is is most important is you want to, if you really want to reduce that anxiety, you have to practice with a coach in a controlled environment. And that's one of the reasons why classes typically work much better than any other technique that you can use to to help you reduce public speaking fear, because the class is a controlled environment. There are we're minimizing the risk of failure. A a good analogy is it's kind of like when you're 15 years old or 16 years old and you're learning to drive a car. We don't start on the freeway. We start in a parking lot. You get practice getting comfortable with all of the gears and everything in the controlled environment of 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 the parking lot and then what we do is we we give you one little thing that will make the task that we're asking to do just a little bit more difficult and then have you master that and then give you another thing that's a little bit more difficult and master that give you another little thing that's a little bit more difficult master that so you're progressing around uh, through through the whole process of learning and it happens in in a much faster rate than what you might think so a controlled environment is really a much better way to to kind of do it a good example of this is i just finished teaching a class in charlotte just a few weeks ago and at the end of the class, once everybody had given their their final presentations, I kind of looked at it and I asked the class, hey, how many of you th- would have wagered 48 hours ago that you could do what you just accomplished? And everybody was kind of shaking their head, you know, because they just nailed this this final speech. It gave just a fantastic presentation, got lots of applause at the end of each one of the the speeches and everything. And most of them, and in fact, one of the guys kind of kind of looked at me and he said, he said, I, he said, if if you had even told me that we were going to be having to do that, um, when we started the class yesterday morning, I probably wouldn't have come back after the first break, just because uh, we did it in a progressive way to where we they didn't know that they were doing something more complicated each time. And that controlled environment can really help people grow in a, in a much, much, much faster way. So what I would encourage you to do, if you have one of those big speeches coming up and you want to reduce your anxiety, attend a public speaking class. The Fearless Presentations class is one of the best in the world because it will help you get more practice with a really good coach and at the and do it in a controlled environment. So you boost that anxiety really, really dramatically. Um, if you'd like to attend any of our Fearless Presentations classes, you can do that by going to fearlesspresentations.com and just looking at the seminar schedule link on every page of the website. So let's get on with today's podcast. Hey, so in this session, we're going to cover a really quick way to persuade an audience in in really a short period of time, five minutes or less in most cases. And the way that I came up with this topic was I was doing some research. I was actually researching a a blog post that that I just finished. And I came across a statement that was that when I read it, I was like, what? <laughs> what in the world? Why on earth would somebody say this? And I'll kind of read it to you. This was this is a a very world renowned public speaking expert that made this statement on his website. 
Basically, what he said was the, there was a question that was asked of him, and he said, hey, if I've only got five minutes for a speech, how do I get my key points across in an interesting way? And the speaker answered by saying, well, five minutes is too short a time period to persuade an audience of anything complicated, sophisticated, and controversial. And, I, and once I read that, I was like, what? How in the world could somebody that is such a world-renowned public speaker absolutely think that, Right. And in fact, I think that is probably one of the more ridiculous statements that I that I think I've ever read or heard. I mean, that's right up there with statements like read my lips, no new taxes. And um, uh, I uh, I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. And, you know, Saddam Hussein has weapons of mass destruction. And if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor, basically. So, they, I mean, that's kind of a politician way of saying something. It doesn't it's it's really not true. And in fact, I can prove it to you. In fact, I can give you some very specific situations where people have been way, 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 way persuasive in just a very short period of time. One of the best ideas or the best examples anyway that I can that I can remember is the Gettysburg Address. I mean, if you read the entire Gettysburg Address from start to finish, it's only about a minute and a half. The entire one of the most quoted speeches in American history. It takes about a minute and a half to 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 say the entire speech. And that was Lincoln being very persuasive to an entire, you know, to a very divided country anyway. Right. And so, um, like I said, one of the most quoted speeches in in all of American history. And it took about a minute and a half to, to say um, if if it did take us longer than five minutes to persuade somebody to do something, then most of us guys wouldn't be married. I know I wouldn't be. You know, if, I, if it took me longer than five minutes to persuade my wife, my now wife, that she needed to marry me. Oh, man, I'd be in. We'd, I think we'd all be in trouble. None of us guys would actually be married. Um, but a, a more. A, a, a better series of examples of these actually come from our fearless presentations classes. You know, for the last almost 20 years now, we've been teaching a way in the fearless presentations class that will allow people to persuade an audience, win people to our way of thinking in in very in really a short period of time. And and by the way, we didn't set out to create this structure. It's basically we had to do it out of necessity because if we let's say we've got 10 people in a in a classroom, if everybody's going to give an hours worth of speeches in in that presentation class, you know, it basically that's a 10-hour day just for the speeches. And so we had to make the presentations very concise in order to in order to help people you know, overcome that their fear of nervousness and, and help them be more persuasive as well. So this technique works really, really, really well. So what I'm going to do is in this session, I'm going to go over a, a real quick three step process that will help you persuade your audience in, in a, a real short period of time. So the very first thing that you want to do if you want to persuade your audience is you have to make your topic or make your presentation really focused on what the audience wants. One of the very first self-help books that I ever read was How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. It's a fantastic book. It was written back in, I think, the 1930s. And one of the in one of the early chapters of How to Win Friends and Influence People, Dale Carnegie says, 
He's talking about going fishing and he says, he says, you know what? I love strawberries and cream. Strawberries and cream are like the greatest thing on earth. And he spends like two paragraphs talking about how fantastic strawberries and cream, how, how fantastic that, that dessert is. But he says, Hey, when I go fishing though, I don't put strawberries and cream on the hook. I put a wiggly worm because that's what the fish wants. And he, and basically what he's saying there is that if you want to try to persuade somebody, instead of focusing on what you want, you have to help them. You have to focus your presentation on what they want. If you can show them how they'll get what they want from the thing that you want to do, if your goals are in alignment, you'll actually have a, a fairly persuasive speech. Now, the strawberries and cream analogy doesn't, I don't think it, it really works in the real world for this kind of thing. The reason why is because if you carry out that analogy, the fish is going to end up dead, right? So a better analogy might be, um, I don't know, feeding hay to a cow, you know, because the cow of milk cow anyway, feeding hay to a milk cow, well, the, the the cow will now give you milk, which can help you make those strawberries and cream, which is what you wanted in the first place. Right. So that's probably a little bit better analogy, but it, but it's it's a very graphical way to kind of see what, um, how to how to start the design of our presentation when we're trying to persuade our audience. So let's say, for instance, that I need to get my my budget increased. Well, I, if I if I title my presentation or if I focus my presentation on how, why you, the audience, the people who are making this decision as to whether or not my budget gets increased, needs to increase my my budget, there's going to be resistance resistance because guess what they don't want to increase my budget <laughs> so i have to show them how they're going to get what they want if they do what i want so let's say for instance that i'm a i'm a department head and i'm in charge of loss prevention or security and i want my budget increase i need my my budget to be increased so instead of focusing on how you need to increase my budget i'll focus on the results so what will that increased budget get my audience well, it can decrease theft, which basically adds to the bottom to the bottom line. So if I focus my presentation on how to decrease the theft or decrease shoplifting or decrease employee theft or whatever it is that we're focused on. Now, all of a sudden, that's in line with that what they want. They don't want people to steal from them. Right. So that that presentation is more in line with the wants and the needs of the people who are in the audience. So the very first thing, step number one in designing a really quick persuasive presentation anyway, is to focus on what the audience wants. Now, step two, the second thing that you have to do is you have to outline a series of steps or a series of actions that will help the audience get that thing that they want, right? So whatever the, that thing is that we've identified that the audience wants, we wanna give them a series of steps. Now, the technique that I use, by the way, is I focus on if if we can only if I can only cover one thing in this entire five minute presentation that would help my audience get that thing that they want, what would be the number one most important thing that we could focus on? And whatever that thing is becomes a bullet point in my presentation. And then and then I and then from then I just kind of say, OK, what's the second most important thing and what's the third most important thing? So I can I can narrow down those the, the steps or the things that I want that that the that the steps that will help the audience get what they want into like the three most important things. And once I've identified that outline, 
it, it makes it a whole lot easier for the audience to really kind of pay attention. So, for instance, let's say that that um, I'm, I'm back to the the example that I gave you earlier with the um, with the loss prevention person. So what is one thing that we could do that would help decrease the employee theft or decrease shoplifting in, in a store or something like that? Well, camera surveillance might be might be important, you know, so I might. I, so my my bullet point or my statement might say something like invest $50,000 in cameras in surveillance cameras. And, and if we do that, we'll be able to cut our losses from theft each year by 80 to uh, by $80,000. Right. So invest a 50,000, you get 80,000 in return. Now it's a no brainer, you know, because the people who are listening to the presentation can say, okay, that's a big chunk of money. <laughs> you know, I don't really want to give up that much money, but look, heck we're losing 80 grand every year in theft. So if I can decrease that, to to um, a fifty thousand dollar loss this year uh, instead of eighty, I've saved myself thirty grand. Plus next year, I get the entire eighty grand in return. So every year after that, I'm going to increase my return. So so it basically makes it to where the items that we're covering in our presentation are things that are really geared toward helping the audience get that thing that that they want, that thing that he or she really wants. Now, so one of the big questions that I often get is, why do you cover three things, Doug? Why are there three items? Why are we covering three items instead of just one? If they, if they really want that one thing, why don't you show them one thing that they can do? And by the way, if I'm really sure of exactly what they want, most likely I'm probably just going to cover one thing. But most of the time we have imperfect information when we're trying to design our presentation. So as a result, we have to kind of do some education, educated guessing. So, for instance, let's say that I'm I'm presenting this presentation to a board of directors or something like that. And that board, one person on that board is really anti surveillance camera for one reason or another. Maybe they got caught doing so, whatever it is. Anyway, but whatever it is, that person is really anti camera. And all I've done is set, is covered that one bullet point about that one thing that I want to do is get cameras. Now all of a sudden that person can kind of shoot it down. So basically we're kind of hedging our bets. We're kind of, we're kind of giving multiple items that they might be interested in, assuming that at least one, maybe a couple of these things aren't going to be in line with, with their, with their exact wants. So. The better research that we do ahead of time about what our audience really wants and needs, the easier it is to determine what those things are that we need to cover in our presentation. But a lot of times, like I said, we have incomplete information. So if you cover a few different items, it makes it a little bit a little bit easier. Um, by the way, one of the things that that um, a really, really good salespeople will do is they will kind of let's just say we've got incomplete information. We don't really know exactly what the audience is, is going to want. We can actually create three different items. And then when we get into the room with that person or with that group of people, we can ask them, Hey, out of these three things, these are three things that typically come up when I'm talking about this specific item or this specific title or this specific want out of these three things, which is the most important to you? Which one do you think would be most important to you or which one, which is something that you're most interested in? And a lot of times they'll tell you which one of those things are. And heck, I'll just spend time on that. So anyway, the point is, is that you can just cover one thing or two things, but you, you'll get a little bit better results in a persuasive speech if you cover about three different items because you're much more likely to hit the real wants and needs of that audience. So the third thing, the last thing that you want to do when you're designing your presentation or you're designing your persuasive presentation 
is to now prove to the audience that they will get that thing that they want if they do these things that you're asking them to do. So so for each one of those little bullet points, those three bullet points, you want to go back and put some type of proof that that behavior, that result is going to come as a result of them doing the, the thing that you're asking them to do. So like, for instance, if we go back to the the example that we've been covering with with the loss prevention person, well, all I if 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 there has been any other organization that is similar to mine that installed those cameras and reduced employee theft or reduced shoplifting by a, a certain percentage, then I can use just use that organization as an example. Hey, so Target did this um, about 15 years ago, and when they did, they 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 dro- dropped the amount of shoplifting that was going on in their stores by uh, about thirty thousand dollars per store, or whatever it is, right? You know, whatever that example is, you can use that as a way to to kind of prove what it is that you want to that, that you're trying to get across to them. Now, for me personally, the type of of um, of examples or proof that I like to use in my persuasive stories or my persuasive presentations are um, what, what they call anecdotal evidence. And the reason why I like anecdotal evidence is because it works really, really, really well. If you've ever watched any of the uh, TV law dramas, you know, Law and Order or any of those kind of things, you'll often hear one of the attorneys making an objection. They'll say, objection, anecdotal. And basically what that means is that whatever has been just put before the jury is something that might happen, might have happened once, but just because it happened once doesn't necessarily mean it's ever going to happen again. So it's anecdotal in, in nature. Well, the reason why that's that judges will allow that type of objection to occur is because that anecdotal evidence is very helpful in persuading people. So if they're trying to persuade in a jury that something is true and they just give a they find one time that that was true in the past and they use that as the way to to, to prove that what they're saying is true, then it, it will be very persuasive. It works. And so because it works. And it can be misleading then judges don't like to use it. Well, we don't have those same limitations when we're giving our presentations, especially our persuasive presentations. So if we can give a piece of anecdotal evidence and then back it up with something bigger, something more like a, a statistic or a study or something like that, it can be much more helpful. It can be much a, a much better way to persuade the audience. So I'll give you a, kind of a real life example of how this works in real life and how those two pieces of evidence, the anecdotal evidence, along with some real proof, really um, are, are together can be very persuasive. Take a car dealer, for example. You go to any car dealership anywhere in the United States and you and you try to buy a car. And, let, and you tell the salesperson somewhere along the way that the warranty is really important or the dependability of that car is really, really important. There's a good chance that that salesperson is going to say something like, well, this is one of the most dependable cars in the world. And then stop. <laughs> That's all they say. Right. So if you go to three different car dealerships and three different salespeople tell you that specific statement or something similar to that statement about three different cars, you know you know that at least two, if and probably all three of them are probably lying, right? They're, they're not telling the truth. And um, and so if, if that's the case, then 
we start discounting everything else that that person has said. So basically, you don't when you're when you're trying to persuade people, you have to give them real proof, not something kind of made up and not something that it just doesn't work. Right. So so like, for instance, if a if if I'm a sales guy at a car dealership and and somebody is asking me about the the dependability of my specific car the car that they're they're looking at anyway if i have any type of study that backs that up so let's say for instance that there was a a study by motor trend you know in the last 12 months that said that this is one of the top five dependable cars on the market i can use that as my proof that's that's a that's a pretty good piece of proof but it's not real personable right so it's not going to persuade a lot of people but if you put the anecdotal piece of evidence in with that motor trend report, now all of a sudden it works really, really well. So basically, if the sales guy, let's say the sales guy had another customer that bought that same type of car for a second time because that car was really dependable, then I could just, if I'm the sales guy, I could just tell the audience about that specific incident. So I could say something like, you know, actually in the, just a couple of weeks ago, I had a, um, a a realtor and her husband that came to to buy this specific type of car. They specifically asked me for this type of car. And the reason why they asked for this type of car was because this was the car that they had currently. And the realtor told me that she puts thirty to 40000 miles every single year on her car and she's had that particular car for five years and the only thing she's ever had to do in that five years is just get oil changes and filter changes stuff like that so no maintenance issues no no challenges and in fact motor trend did a study about this particular car and said it was in the top five of most the most dependable cars on the market now, all of a sudden, those two pieces of evidence in conjunction with each other, even though they're very short, it's very easy to, to give that evidence to the to the audience. It's very persuasive. So the anecdotal piece of evidence, something from our own personal experience, along with something bigger, something more meaningful, when you combine those two together, it's it makes for a very persuasive message. So basically, if you go back to the structure that we've created, we started out with helping the audience get what the audience really wants. You know, so we focus the title on them, on the audience, not on what we want. And then we've covered three different things we in, in our presentation that will help the audience get what they want. And then for each one of those, we're telling a quick little anecdotal story plus a piece of real proof for each one of those. So we've we've verified in three different ways that the audience is going to get that thing that they want in basically a, a very short speech. So basically, if it took me, if it takes me, I don't know, a minute and a half, minute, 45 seconds for each one of those little anecdotal stories and, and the piece of evidence, that means that I can do the entire presentation in four and a half minutes, five minutes or so, maybe six minutes max, but but basically just a very short period of time. So that is a very, very, very helpful and a very, very effective way to be very, very persuasive <laughs> to your audience in a short period of time. So hopefully that you can use this when you're trying to persuade your audiences as well. Before I close, I want to share with you a little secret that that will help you maximize your retention of content from this podcast and, and any podcast, really, for, for that matter. The, one of the best ways to do that is to subscribe to the podcast. So just hit the sub, the subscribe description button that's there on your as if you're on iTunes or something like that. And I give an example of how this works in real life. It's just something from my own personal experience. I I absolutely 
hate social media. I mean, it's just one of those things. I just, I don't, I've never been a real big fan of Facebook or Twitter. You know, I like LinkedIn, but you know, I, you know, Instagram and Snapchat and all that kind of stuff. Uh, for for somebody my age, it's just, it's just, uh, it's very challenging. So, but I know that it's important to my career. I know it's important for my business. And I think a lot of people that, that kind of listen to the Fearless Presentations podcast probably feel that way about public speaking. You know, I, I don't like it, but I know I need to do it. And so that's the way I am with, with social media. So I started subscribing to years ago, I subscribed to uh, Michael Stelzner's podcast on social media marketing, which is a great podcast, by the way. I haven't listened to it probably in three or four months just because, you know, I, I kind of go on kicks where I'll, I'll listen to uh, new stuff and see what's out there and and I'll get really excited about it and then and then kind of go away from it, which, again, that's probably what a lot of people do with public speaking as well. So anyway, so because I'm subscribed to it, though, he put out a new podcast in the last week or so and it showed up on my on my um, on my uh, iPhone. And so I clicked it, you know, I just happened to be driving in to work about the time that that um, he released it. And I, I started listening to it. And in the first 10 minutes of that of that podcast, he mentioned a piece of software about in, about creating Instagram stories that solved a huge challenge that we were having here at, at the office. And and I would have missed it if I hadn't hit that subscription button. So I would encourage you, even if you're just kind of listening to a few of these podcasts just to kind of test them out, hit the subscription button because every, sooner or later, we're going to hit one of those topics that are really, really important to you. And if you're not subscribed, you're going to miss it. So hit that subscription button right now. We'll see you next week on the Fearless Presentations podcast. Subscribe to this podcast for new public speaking secrets each week.